This is a show about getting spooked for fun, and neither one of the hosts are associated with the attractions discussed in any way. Except for those skeletons in Devin's closet. Some topics may go from ghoulish to ghastly, so viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to The Great American Scream. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Great American Scream. My name is Devin Wright. My name is Adam O'Connell. And Adam, werewolves, not swearwolves. I'm sorry, did you hear me? Did you, did you hear did you hear me say that not very Christian word? Yeah. In I'm yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is this a call out? I want to talk about it because you know, I'm not gonna include it in the podcast because okay. that's inappropriate and I don't mm-hmm. want the children to hear that kind of naughty language. And I want you to take this moment to apologize to our entire audience. Yeah, I'm sorry uh for forgetting about the monster werewolves, not swearwolves. And I'm also sorry for <laughs> for accidentally calling Castlevania Symphony of the Night the first Castlevania game on our Twitter because I also need Thank to you. apologize. Thank you. That. Yes. I I'm was sorry. horrified to get a Twitter <laughs> notification. It was very, very funny. It was funny. But yeah, I have um penance that I need to do. Um but you know, werewolves, not swearwolves, but werewolves. I would like to round out our little mini series on talking about some of uh America's favorite monsters with a little ditty on werewolves. Stop Jack and Diane. <laughs> Two little werewolves growing up in the heartland. Uh, yeah, our monster month is coming to an end with the Wolfmen. Yeah. Um, and because like vampires, uh, werewolves have been around in folklore for a really long time, almost as long as vampires have, if not longer, um, and have their roots in a culture dating back to as early as 27 A.D., especially Hell in European yeah. folklore. So like Jesus and then shortly after werewolves. Wolfman. Yeah. <laughs> so werewolves uh, and they have stood the test of time and are still a classic Halloween monster. But I'll say not as much as vampires, but maybe a little more than Frankenstein. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to kind of figure out the scale of yeah. these because they also ebb and flow. You know, yes. height of twilight werewolves are pretty big. I would say right about now, werewolf boyfriends, pretty big. Okay, yeah, because I also think that werewolves um, have grown in popularity, but they've kind of morphed into something that's outside the horror genre. For sure. This wolf man, this wolf man that we think of, not a thing anymore, but like the transforming into the full wolf. People do find that sexy. Well, they definitely find it sexy. I also just think they've, some of us just find it cool. Some of us just think it's neat. Yeah, it doesn't all have to be, but we're not all, we can't, listen, Frankenstein's already so sexy. We <laughs> Every episode of this podcast can't be about how we're so hot for all these monsters. It as, simply can't. As, My as, nephew listens to this podcast. creators, yes, it does. <laughs> That's fair. All right, but so in modern uh, supernatural fiction, werewolves tend to be a side character instead of a main character. Um, So today, let's... let's we say no. Center stage, baby, but first... We have to go back. So, Remus and Romulus. Yeah. Raised I'm, by wa- raised by a wolf mother. Kind of. Settles on the seven hills of Rome. I mean, kind of. Because okay, yeah, so of. when we talk about a werewolf or in like some, depending on the definition, a, la- a lycanthrope or someone with lycanthropy here, we are talking about a person who can shapeshift into a wolf or wolf-like creature. That's the basis definition. Because werewolves have so much variation 
nowadays and right. like how they transform and what they transform into. This is just a person who can become a wolf or wolf-like thing somehow. And incredible. The idea and usually the moon is involved. Usually, but not always, as we'll we'll, yeah. we'll come to find out. The um the idea of a person changing into a wolf appears in a lot of classical antiquity and folk beliefs, especially in European folklore. Um they kind of parallel the rise in belief and persecution persecution of witches, uh, which with actual werewolf trials beginning in what is now Switzerland in the 15th century during the uh, Valais witch trials. Now, because we also talked about this with vampires, how they were also something that was actively hunted. So interest and accusations peaked in the late 16th to early 17th century England and France uh, amongst the rise of witch trials. Although wolf attacks on humans were like reported at least pretty scarce, but they were still a pretty widely shared fear. Um, some people even believe that werewolves existed because places that were devoid of a wolf population needed a natural predator. Hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> an interesting parallel to witch trials, especially when we talk about witch trials, most of the time today, we know that we're talking about a, an elite that were uh, unhappy with certain people, specifically women, specifically unmarried and landed women, mm -hmm. uh, accruing some kind of social and therefore political power and then wanting to bring them down uh, and to present a kind of external force that was threatening. And because women did not have a have actual like a, a mass of political power or like armed power uh they had to turn to supernatural means to accuse these women for werewolves I don't think that same no, thing yeah, is occurring because from what at least of my research most accused werewolves tended to be men right but I mean, many of these so-called werewolves were just serial killers. They ended up being right. And so it's the same kind of thing, an external an external threat to a community or a population. And so when they're seeing, oh, it's just a normal dude. It's like, well, a normal dude couldn't do that. Maybe yeah. he's a wolf dude. It's kind of Maybe the idea he's a supernatural of power. This like 15th, 16th century idea of like a man not committing the sin, but they are influenced by the devil. They are like werewolves. They are, must like, be part beast creation yeah. of the devil or anything. Um, so, yeah, most of them just ended up being serial killers. Um, in 1521, Frenchman uh, Pierre Burgot and Michel Verdun allegedly swore allegiance to the devil and claimed to have an ointment that turned them into wolves. Uh, after confessing to brutally murdering several children, they were both burned to death at the stake. Yeah, to me, that seems like a kind of mo uh, a version of pleading insanity, like going, oh, yeah, actually, I killed those kids, but it was... Yeah, I was yeah. actually I was actually a wolf person in all in all. What is it uh, in all aspects except physical? I am a wolf. Yeah. Um, and the, I mean, at that point, you've already confessed that you've swore allegiance to the devil. So it's kind of over for you anyway. So at that point, my, why not say you're also a wolf? Yeah. And I mean, at that point, they're like, you killed a bunch of kids and you go, that's not the worst part. I'm also a wolf. <laughs> You killed, I killed a bunch of kids and it gets worse. Yeah. Um, and also uh, one of the more famous uh, accused werewolves was Giles Garnier, uh, was most famously known as the werewolf of Dole. 
uh, burned at the stake in 1573 after being discovered as the murderer of several children. Uh, the town had originally thought the culprit was a werewolf. So when they found him, instead of going, oh, it's not a werewolf, it's Giles, they went, Giles must be the werewolf. Right. It, again, it seems like the kind of thing where people discover that there is like a horrid crime happening. Mm hmm under their noses that they feel like they didn't have control over. Therefore, it must be something supernatural discovering that it was just a man and that people are capable of horrible things and going, well, he's probably a werewolf. Yeah. And Giles was also a hermit and was not known well by pretty much anybody in the town. He was kind of notorious for keeping to himself. So this kind of very humanistic idea of being afraid of things we don't understand or know about right. or things that are isolated from us uh, makes a lot of sense. But <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's so fascinating to me to see, to have Giles go, oh, yes, I killed them. And instead of everybody going, oh, it wasn't a werewolf. It was just Giles. It was just a dude. They go, Giles is the werewolf. Yeah, transitive property. Yeah. Werewolf um, killed the kids. Giles killed the kids. Werewolf is Giles. Yeah. So um, the characteristics of a werewolf often uh, differ depending on uh, the culture and the time in history. And it really depends on what you're talking about as uh, the definition tends to vary. It might be a permanent or temporary transformation to a wolf or a wolf-like creature. The person may be in a trance or fully conscious and aware of their actions. Uh, the transformation may be at will or triggered by the full moon or something else entirely. It really like more than anything else. I think werewolves have such a wide wide variance of definitions and characteristics. Yeah. I, I think when you mentioned the fact that like there was also this idea that if there weren't, there was not a wolf population, a dude would become a wolf to fill that place. Yeah. I think it all just relates to this odd relationship humans in different places at different times have with the concept of predators. Yeah. Uh, when we're at the top of the food chain, but also we're not. Yes. It's very interesting. Yeah. And so werewolves, as described in European folklore, are often depicted as still having traits that reveal their previously human form. Uh, one method of identifying a werewolf was said that if you cut the flesh of the accused, uh, you would see fur underneath the wound, which I guess implies they're wearing a kind of like skin suit. Human suit. Yeah. Like trick or treat with all those girls that are werewolves. That's a great movie. I just watched that a couple nights ago. If you're looking for like sure. a, if you're looking for like a, like a, 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 a movie that's like a slasher movie and it's scary but it's also like perfectly halloweeny and it's not too scary and it's funny trick-or-treat but yeah there's a bunch of werewolves and skin suits in that movie okay other depictions of werewolves especially in swedish folklore uh say they look identical to regular wolves except they don't have a tail uh therefore werewolves are able to run on three legs and stretch their fourth leg back to simulate a tail now that would be useful why uh, i guess from afar if you are afraid you're being hunted by werewolves, you can look and go, oh, no, don't worry. It's not werewolves. It's just regular wolves. I can see that they have all four legs and a tail. But what <laughs> if they see a, a wolf with three legs and a tail just because he lost his leg and they kill that poor wolf thinking that he's a werewolf? That doesn't seem very fair. No. Also, why do they need to simulate it? My problem is why do they need to simulate a tail? <laughs> that was my question, too. And I guess to conceal themselves so that, again, from afar, if people were like, I think that's a werewolf over there. Oh, no, 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 Gary. Count it the has legs. a tail. It's not a werewolf, you idiot. <laughs> and then they get <laughs> yeah, mauled by idiot. wolves. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey guys, Devin from the future here, checking in before the meat of the episode to let you know that we have launched our Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash greatscreampod. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash greatscreampod. We have great perks there, including early access to episodes, voting on episode topics, exclusive live streams with Adam and I, and it's a fun time. So if you have some spare resources, we know it's a it's a tough time for a lot of people, but anybody who does have the means to support us and is willing to do so, please check it out. Once again, that is patreon.com slash greatscreampod. So Werewolf's appearance in fiction is almost as kind of long and storied as um, as their, them existing just in folk culture is. Uh, in Greek mythology, there is the story of uh, Lycaon, as I think the way to pronounce it, Lycaon, Lycaon, who tested Zeus by serving him a dish of his disemboweled son to see if Zeus was truly all-knowing. As punishment, Zeus turns him into a wolf and kills his other 50 sons with lightning bolts, except for the slaughtered son whom he revives. Few problems there. Yeah. 50 sons, too many. That's a lot of sons. That's a lot of boys. If you're going to serve a god one of your 50 sons how do you choose yeah also why do you stop at one you seemingly have a lot to spare <laughs> also zeus what did the other 50 sons do yeah also you already turned him into a wolf do you think that the wolf is going to conceive of the fact that 50 of his former human sons are now dead also that's a lot of lightning bolts that's a lot of lightning bolts. The Cyclops, the Cyclopes work hard on those. Yeah. They're just going to waste them on a bunch of innocent sons. At least, you know, at least the disemboweled son gets revived with the knowledge I'm that starting he to think this Zeus guy by Zeus is what, not such a good dude. I'm starting to think he's not on the level. <laughs> but in legends influenced by medieval theology, uh, the werewolf is known as a satanic or demonic being of some kind, uh, shown to have a craving for human flesh and are often former humans transformed into werewolves as punishment for their sins. So this is kind of yeah. where we start to see our modern... The idea of like a curse. Yeah. Yes. It, it being a curse. Yeah. So they really uh, began to rise in prominence uh, during the era of gothic horror, um, coupling with other famous gothic horror novels and movements like Dracula, Frankenstein, etc. Um, we start getting close uh, to the modern werewolf fiction with... Now, I didn't know how to pronounce this. Leech? I don't want to say his name is Leech, but it's spelled L-E-I-T-C-H. Yeah, Leitch. Leitch? Leitch Leitch Ritchie. His short story, <clears throat> The Man Wolf, published in 1831, and Sutherland Mines' Sutherland story, uh, Hughes the Werewolf, uh, it published in 1838, which I believe was the story to popularize the concept of werewolves transforming under the full moon. Um, okay. It really, that wasn't kind of a thing associated with werewolves until then. Um, many also read Robert Louis Stevenson's The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, published in 1886, as having a werewolf subtext. It's got basically every element of a werewolf story except for the wolf part. He even gets hairier as Mr. Hyde in most adaptions. Hmm. So it's like, I think it's using the same like werewolf metaphor as werewolf stories do of the yeah i mean it links back to the idea of like he's just a predator yeah like the animalistic was, nature yeah. of humans and how yeah going back to nature makes us savages etc cetera, etc cetera. the most 
renowned werewolf novel of the 20th century was The Werewolf of Paris, uh, published in 1933 by author Guy Endor. It's kind of the Dracula of werewolf novels, although it did not receive a film adaption until 1961's The Curse of the Werewolf. Um, it did not serve as the basis of the Werewolf of London or the Wolfman mm. film, uh, which we'll get into right now because that's, I think, where... Uh, werewolves is a horror icon, really. Yeah. Uh, rose to prominence. Now, with the rise of classic horror, well, I guess I guess back then it's just horror. It's not classic horror yet. Yeah, I think classic <laughs> horror to them would have been like... Yeah. Um, but during the pre-code film era, we start to see werewolves depicted on film. Early examples uh, include 1913's The Werewolf and 1925's Wolf Blood, uh, both of which depicted werewolves as only in their full wolf form. So full okay. canine, no human. Uh, we first see an anthropomorphic werewolf in 1935's Werewolf of London, with the main character being a dapper English scientist who retains most of his human features after transforming. Uh, Jack Pierce also did the makeup for this movie. Um, Thanks, Jack Pierce. And uh, this film also popularized the trope of a werewolf killing or being the most dangerous to the thing he loves most. Makes sense. Um, but we really get in gear with 1941's The Wolfman, with the titular character being played by Lon Chaney Jr., son of Lon Chaney, who played the Hunchback of Notre Dame and the Phantom of the Opera. Lon Chaney Jr., get in here. Get, welcome, welcome to the show. The film follows Larry Talbot, who, uh, after returning to his ancestral home, is bitten by the werewolf son of a fortune teller, this son being played by... Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi, yeah. Hey. And then becomes a werewolf himself. Bella Lugosi, like, I wish that I could get by as an actor doing just horror movies. Like, back in the day, that's I, what you did. You just did, like, this was all they did was the horror just, movies. Yeah. I could never, I could never. <laughs> but, um, so the most iconic line or remembered thing from this film is the rhyme the villagers recite about the werewolf curse, uh, which is... Even a man who is pure of heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. It's a bit long to get to the rhyme. Yeah. But sure. Yeah, it doesn't really cap off the rhyme until the end there, but you know. Yeah, it's kind of a long journey to get there. Also, imagine you like went home for Thanksgiving and you like walked around town and everybody in town had this weird little like turn of phrase they kept saying to you when you pass by yeah and also imagine going back home to your hometown and, and bitten by the, some dude <laughs> yeah but more specifically by the son of like a soothsayer you know the town soothsayer <laughs> yeah. played by bella lugosi yeah who you go and see and he pulls tarot for you no no no, no. bella lugosi was the son not the soothsayer oh so the soothsayer not bella lugosi no. is pulling your tarot and then his little rabid son bella lugosi comes scrambling in bites you on the calf and the fortune teller goes it's the it's the bad tarot card and now it's the death every, card now every time you so, go to cvs you go to cvs to pick up your medication that you ordered from home and now the, the cashier said a weird little limerick to you <laughs> yeah and you're like weren't you in band with me and he's like i'll only answer your question if you answer my riddles three like oh, that would be crazy town. Um I just but so, my Vivance. Yeah, this movie has nothing to do with the full moon. Um Oh, okay. 
And the story is interesting because it depicts the Wolfman as a tragic character. He gets the werewolf's curse, not as a any a punishment for any wrongdoing, but while he's saving his friend from getting attacked by Wolfman Bela Lugosi. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, which uh, werewolves, I think, prior to this were mostly depicted as being some kind of beast or a punishment as for sin or wrongdoing or making deals with the devil. Right. And this time he really it was it was truly a curse. He truly didn't do anything wrong yeah um now yeah, the makeup, a punishment but not for something he did yeah the makeup look for this movie also designed by jack pierce was uh, originally done for henry hull in werewolf of london but the studio asked that it be redesigned as they still wanted hull to be recognizable in his wolf form so jack pierce just took the design he did for that movie and then put it on Lon Chaney Jr., uh, which took yeah. five to six hours to apply and one hour to remove, even though we only see the look once for the last 10 minutes of the movie. Hell yeah, that's the best kind of, of special <laughs> effect. That's the other thing, too, about the Wolfman, is that he does not become a Wolfman until the last 10 minutes of the film. Which, good. Like, it's just hell the yeah. man for the rest of the movie. Should have called it man wolf, man. <laughs> but you stretch out the man for nine tenths of it. So you go man wolf. Yeah. So that's... That you know how long the wolf part is going to be relevant. Yeah. Um, and so the wolf man is the only universal classic monster to be played by the same actor in all of his film appearance appearances in the 1940s. Uh, those films being the wolf man, Frankenstein meets the wolf man and the invisible man, which Ah. Uh, or no, the Invisible Man, people don't count unless you. Sorry. And uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein was the third one. But some people count the Invisible Man and Claude Rains because he appeared twice as the Invisible Man. OK, but most people don't count Claude Rains as a universal classic monster. Gotcha. But you, it's up to you. Um, the Bride of Frankenstein and Imhotep, the mummy, do not count because they only appeared in one film during the era. Yeah, it doesn't really count if you have 100% in one movie. Yeah, Frankenstein and Dracula both got played by different actors um, throughout the 30s, 40s, and 50s. But the, the Wolfman, always Wolfman's played by Lon Chaney Jr. And he's in Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein? Yeah, he's kind of a hero in that one, too, because um, the, in the climax of that movie, Dracula's like in bat form about to get Abbott and Costello, and then the Wolfman tackles him and they both fall into a river and then Abbott and Costello escape. Okay. haha, ha. Very funny. Good job, he's Abbott and Costello. He's kind of the hero of that movie. Um, so the sequel, uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, 1943, uh, revealed that the Wolfman had been revived by opening his grave during a full moon. Uh, and the poem from the first film was retconned to end with when the moon is full and bright rather than when the autumn moon is bright. Wait, did he die? Yes, he gets shot at the end of the, of the first Oh, my movie. God. Um, but he's back now. Guess who's what back What a way back to find again. out. Yeah. The Wolfman. Tell a friend. Okay. So uh, it also got a 2010 remake starring Benicio Del Toro, but it was a total and complete box office and critical bomb as oh, tends to what happened when we try and remake the classic monster movies because they're perfect. Yeah. It's planned to be rebooted within the dark universe. Um, and in May of this year of 2020, it was announced that Ryan Gosling is going to play the Wolfman. What did I tell you, Adam? We can't talk about how hot we are for all these monsters. <laughs> but OK, OK, I Ryan Gosling would not be my. OK, first of all, 
when it said Ryan Gosling, my brain read Ryan Reynolds and I was really confused. I would be good with that. I that would one be makes good sense with that me. also because Ryan yeah. Gosling would not be my first pick as the Wolfman. No. Do you know who the Wolfman is? Who? It's Hugh Jackman. He, yeah, he, he does. Hugh Jackman kind of has the real estate on the Wolfman right now. Yeah. And I feel like but Ryan listen, Reynolds would definitely direct a film in which Hugh Jackman played the Wolfman. We keep making Hugh Jackman do action movies, and this man just wants to sing and dance. Wolfman can do that. Make it a musical. <laughs> Make it a musical. We should. This is a PSA. We as a culture should just let Hugh Jackman sing and dance. He's good at it. He really loves it. Just let him do it. Yeah. Greatest Showman is not a great I don't like movie the from a histiography standpoint, but no. he's great in it. He's great. I don't like that yeah. movie, but he's great. Just let him sing and dance. He doesn't have to be Wolverine anymore. Or he can sing and dance as Wolverine. If him <laughs> being able to sing and dance means he'll do more Wolverine, let him sing and dance. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so after the Lon Chaney Jr. era, we really don't get another uh, notable werewolf film until 1981's uh, horror comedy, An American Werewolf in London. Yes. I know that is a long time uh, to not get a werewolf movie, but in a horror era dominated by slashers as the 60s and 70s were, monster movies really weren't a thing. Right. People weren't afraid of, mon- like, we can talk about this. I, I have a whole theory about, like, comic books uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of pop culture, like, just being used to reflect the fears of the society they were created in. And like in the 70s, 60s and 70s, we weren't afraid of supernatural monsters. We were afraid of people. Yeah, Like exactly. we were afraid of singular people doing horrible things. Yeah. And I think uh, also an American werewolf in London being a horror comedy also kind of helped popularize it. Um, the yeah. movie follows two American backpackers who are attacked by a strange creature while traveling in England. And one begins to fear that he will turn into a werewolf because of this attack. And spoiler and he alert, he definitely does. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> um, does. Or else that movie would have a very misleading title. Um, although I do like the idea of a movie of a guy waiting to transform into a werewolf for like a whole movie and then never yes. doing it. It's kind of like a, a the- Nicolas Cage vampire's kiss situation where he like that lady bites him. and He thinks he turned into a vampire. That movie is bonkers, uh, by the way. Go watch Vampire's Kiss like, if you have it. <laughs> it's like if in Spider-Man he got bit by the spider at the beginning of the movie and the rest of the movie he just like had a rash <laughs> at the yeah. end of the movie but then he's he like he spends the whole movie like deliberating over how he's going to use these new powers and like that have not come yet getting and no getting guarantee. ready to like shoot practicing crime fighting and shooting webs and stuff and it just never does trademark trademark this is a great idea uh, so this movie gets uh, overlooked in the horror comedy genre a lot uh, for some reason but it's really good and very funny Um, It's heralded mostly for its incredible and cutting edge makeup effects designed by makeup legend Rick Baker, uh, who I think we talked about in the Creature Feature episode. Hero Um, of the podcast. Absolutely changed the face of horror makeup in the 80s. He won the first ever Academy Award for Best Makeup for this movie and then went on to win it six more times with uh, a record 11 nominations with wins... uh, including How the Grinch Stole Christmas, The Nutty Professor, and Men in Black. Those all, th- like, Nutty Professor we can talk about. As yeah, a Nutty Professor movie, hasn't like, aged well, but... Yeah, but the but the makeup and body yeah. work done in that is really good. How the Grinch Stole Christmas is a goddamn incredible movie from a production yeah, standpoint. Men in Black absolutely still holds up How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yeah, Men in Black also holds up, like, 
if we're just if we're not talking about the CG. Yeah. The, like if we're talking about the physical not, effects. So it's practical is great. It's incredible. So now werewolves in the modern day um, in modern film and literature, they tend to become a side character in paranormal and horror stories. Almost. I feel like the most I see werewolves are in kind of a monster mash situation where there are several monsters and one of them happens to be a werewolf. Um, like right. <laughs> the first thing that came to mind was Hotel Transylvania, which was not what I intended to. Which we didn't even talk about. <laughs> in the, but yeah, we didn't even talk about in the vamp. I mean, we talked a little bit about it. In yeah. But. Um, but they've made countless appearances in movies like Cabin in the Woods and Trick or Treat and What We Do in the Shadows. But in all of those movies uh, tend not to be main characters or integri- in, uh, integrally tied to the plot. You know, in Cabin in the right. Woods, they're, they make a brief appearance during the scene when they left all the monsters out. Trick or Treat is probably where they're one of the most prominent. That and What We Do in the Shadows is they're both involved in a subplot. Yeah. Although we're, What We Do in the Shadows, do we ever actually see them as wolves? I don't think we see them as wolves in what we do in the shadows. We need to I think watch we that see movie. A, I again. literally watched it two nights ago and I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I think we see like a half transformation, but I don't think we ever see them turn into right. wolves. I know we like see them growl. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's what happens. But like you said, they're not they're often not the main characters are like plot driven. But a lot of the times I feel like what has changed is what as we talked about what werewolf ism like has changed over time to represent. Mm hmm. And I'm going to take over the podcast real fast because I have a lot of thoughts about a very specific one. We're going to get to Twilight. We'll get to Twilight. Okay, we'll yeah, get yeah, to yeah. That. But first, we got to talk about Harry Potter. Listen, yeah. I know we're not going to get into it, but in interviews and uh, related material, J.K. Rowling has talked about how werewolves uh, and lycanthropy in her mythology were meant to be uh, at least partially a metaphor for HIV AIDS, which is bad because bad. when you read Harry Potter through that lens you end up with a story about one of our main secondary characters for whom a lot of people feel are is queer coded in mm-hmm. Remus Lupin being uh the victim uh, being a child who is victimized by a older man who is purposefully going around infecting children with mm-hmm. this virus hey not a good no. thing. And especially the fact that it's like most of the other werewolves, and I think we only ever see one or two other werewolves, but most of them are described as being villains. Not only villains, but like like a lot of uh, the problematic kind of uh, racial creations of the Harry Potter universe being ostracized and sh- shunned, but in a understandable slash justified way in the view of the world like everybody in the in the world talks about it as though yeah it sucks that we shun them but they are dangerous that's why we have to do it yeah uh very problematic but i do think it has that was not a new idea uh because as we said we can link werewolves back to uh predators against children in serial killers who mm-hmm. were then burned at the stake. We can link them to men who were perceived as others or hermits or shut-ins or people who weren't actually human, but were rather had some kind of bestial demonic connection, which is obviously problematic. Now you want to talk about twilight? Yeah, no, I want to get yeah, compared because compared to how they're portrayed in, in twilight, I want to hear what, <laughs> how you think they're portrayed in or how, Compared to how you think they're portrayed in Harry Potter, I would like to hear how you think they're portrayed in Twilight. No. Okay. Um, Twilight, there's a lot to talk about. 
Just in general in, about Twilight. Just in general. I mean, in Vampires, we didn't really touch on it either, but uh, nothing about the... Uh, I wrote... Uh, we did a kind of 10-year anniversary of Twilight watch through for my the publication I was a part of back at NYU, and we got into an argument about whether or not you were like Team Edward or Team Jacob, and we always talk about that. And the argument made against Jacob is that he was a intrinsically kind of a pedophilic character because he imprints himself as a 17 or 18 year old upon a newborn baby. But what we don't talk about is the fact that Robert Pattinson is over 100 years old and does the same thing to a 16, 17, 18 year old woman. Yeah. And both yeah. are bad and yeah. they both suck. And both the other problem with werewolf ism in Twilight is that it gets into really weird misrepresentation of American Indian identity. And even even after Meyer was specifically told by the communities she was writing about that they did not like her depiction of yeah, them, she was it's like, "That's a very, fine." Very, very not good like depiction of indigenous culture and uh, right. It's, yeah, and we just shouldn't like let's not do that anymore, and let's forget about both of these book series. <laughs> Or at least yeah. when we read them, read them with critical lenses that make us realize what we're reading about. I mean, what, but what Twilight did for werewolves, as it did with vampires, is made them rise to prominence in the paranormal romance genre. Um, sure, yeah. As like now we've kind of are using vampires as a sex symbol in paranormal romance novels and other media. We're doing the same thing with werewolves. I mean, there's like Teen Wolf and shows like that. Um, right, and that we could also. We won't, but we could also talk about the the rise of uh, of ABO fiction, mm-hmm. which I don't want to talk about. Uh, but if you are over eighteen and uh, interested in a uh, in the history of a of a kink adjacent uh, werewolfism, you can look that up. That means yeah. my nephew listening to this, you do not. <laughs> but anybody else who wants to, Twilight, as far as like the sexiness of werewolves goes, is interesting because. The werewolves in Twilight are the full man to wolf transformation, which I guess yeah. is understood as sexier than the the anthropomorphic. Right, and wolf they also man. stop aging at like eighteen. Yeah, and or they can 17. they can transform at will in Twilight, right? Right, it's not a full yeah. moon thing. Right. So yeah, I I feel like there should culturally be a difference between werewolves and people that can transform into wolves, and I know there's not, but right. I'm. I mean. Like, and that's the difference when we talk about, like, there's a difference technically between, like, a werewolf and the wolfman. Mm-hmm. Like, that there are two different, I, there there are probably three or four main schools of werewolfism, right? That there's, like, yeah. werewolf as curse that you had no control over. Maybe it's from birth and, like, once a month you transform kind of the Harry Potter line. Mm-hmm. And then you have the full, like, twilight, you just turn into a wolf at, at will and you can do whatever the hell you want. And then in the middle, you have like the Goosebumps one where he he turns into a dog over the course of the episode. Yeah. Um, and it's a slow but irreversible mm-hmm. transformation. And then there's the kind like, of a Santa some, Claus situation. You got a Santa Claus situation. <laughs> you put on the Wolfman's coat and now you are the Wolfman. Uh, um, because you killed the last Wolfman by throwing him off a, by accident, by scaring him and making him fall off the roof. Yeah. Um, so on the subject of Twilight when we do in the shadows, um, Werewolves are often pitted as the enemy of vampires. This was yeah. partially uh, popularized by the tabletop game Old Worlds of Darkness, where the whole thing is that it's the war right. of vampires versus werewolves. And it makes sense because they are opposite concepts. Werewolves are 
primitive and nature unleashed. They're full of vitality. They're savage. While vampires are the living dead. They're refined. They're calculated. They're sneaky. They're aristocratic. So they are kind of in just concept of a horror thing. Opposites. Yeah. So, of course, it's going to be cool if they fought. But I like to think that they are friends. I'd like to think that they are friends and sometimes they are in love. Uh, that even better lover friends lovers friends lovers perhaps uh yeah and i i think they also share certain uh things like mm-hmm. this kind of like wolves and vampires both are like cunning specifically uh they also both like like you said they kind of both represent this like like the seduction of inhumanity whether it's towards bestial nature or towards like yeah. detached living different dead strokes for different folks different strokes for different folks Last word on werewolves. I like them. Let's well, make more fiction about I, them being good. I would like to say that I think in the um, in the Universal Classic Monsters group, idol group uh-huh. that we established last week. Last I episode, feel like yeah. Dracula and the Wolfman, they have like a stage rivalry where like fans think they don't like each other. But, but they're actually they just best do, friends. Yeah, no, they just do it for the, they do it for the, 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 the concerts. They think it's very funny. Yeah. They, it's yeah. a little healthy rivalry. Everybody thinks there's like the the Wolfman fans versus the Dracula fans, and everybody has yeah, and they like play it up in public, but oh, actually, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But really, they're, they're totally really chill. good friends. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. So werewolves are good. Let's uh, critically reckon with the bad way that we've used werewolfism over the past twenty years, and also all the time before that, and make new cool werewolf stuff. Yeah, werewolf as hero. <laughs> Werewolf as hero or also like werewolf continuing to be like a stand in just like zombies and vampires and everything else we've talked about for real societal issues or societal ills, but not in a prop like you could write a a werewolf series in which lycanthropy is a metaphor for the same kind of things that J.K. Rowling was trying to do. But if you're a good writer and a more thoughtful writer than she is, then you could actually write it. Yeah, you don't do it in a gross way. Yeah, you don't do it in a gross, disgusting way and then and not tell anybody until after the books are out and be like, actually, remember that one piece of representation that was kind of interesting and then I took it away by having the dude marry a random woman who also seemed like a lesbian? That nope. actually was way worse than you thought. Yeah. Ah! Stan the Universal Classic Monsters, they're not going to let you down, probably. They won't let you down. Some of their movies are kind of bad because they're old. Yeah. Some of them have like some old problematic stuff, but like we know they're old. Yeah. So that's okay. And Hugh Jackman is the Wolfman. And Hugh Jackman is the Wolfman. (laughs) Well, this has been episode, what is this? 34? 34. 34. Episode 34, maybe 35. Who knows? Of the Great American Scream. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a rate and review. If you're on iTunes or if you're on Spotify, please follow the podcast or share it to your social medias but the best way to spread the word is to tell a friend we also launched our patreon last week if you're interested in getting the episodes early uh being a part of our monthly live streams or weekly live streams and getting behind the scenes content you can check it out at patreon.com slash great scream pod adam can you pimp our social medias yes you can follow us on facebook at the great american scream or on twitter <clears throat> and instagram at great scream pod um be sure to send us your favorite werewolf movies or famous werewolves um, you can post or tweet at us using the hashtag TGAS. And uh, if there is something that you would like to hear us talk about on the show, uh, please let us know because your suggestion could become a subject of a future episode. 
Yes, a special thank you goes out to Michael Segudo, who does the intro slash disclaimer to the podcast, and to Stevie Viola, who does the intro and outro music. You can find him on Twitter. Adam, that has been it. I've been Devin Wright. I've been Adam O'Connell. And hopefully you have been spooked. Good luck with your singing and dancing. Moon or Wolfbane Bloom. Something, something. Something, something. We hope you're not doomed. Let Hugh Jackman sing and dance. (laughs) Yeah, sure.